You can look around, you can say, well, man, there are churches on every corner, up every holler, on every mountaintop. That's right. But the Lord has called your church to reach that community in a unique way. And you can't do that if you don't know who they are. You can't do that if you don't know who you are. When we think about strategic planning, we have to remember our constant pull must be back to the Bible again and again and again. Now, there's going to be cultural expressions of this, but we are defined by the scriptures. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. This is the 14th episode of the Level Paths Podcast, and if you've been with us for previous episodes, we're so glad you're making this podcast a part of your routine. If this is your first time listening to Level Paths, well, you've hopped on board just at the right time. We're going to do some house cleaning today. Rex and Matt are going to devote some time and drill down and remind us again of the focus of the Level Paths podcast, Tri-State Bible College, and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. After that, we'll get into the topic for this episode, Strategic Planning in Appalachia. Pastors in Appalachia will find this episode especially useful. What is an environmental scan, and what role do vision and mission statements play in a pastor's guiding a church in a certain direction? And one more thing, before we get started, especially if you're a just-on-board listener, Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. Dr. Matt Shamlin is the Appalachian Research Fellow at the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Both Rex and Dr. Matt bring academic and biblical perspectives to the table as they pertain to effective ministry in the Appalachian region. So let's get right to it. Here's Rex Howe. Matt, it's good to be back with you on another Level Pass podcast where we are looking for the glory of God in clear view. How are you, brother? Man, I'm doing well. It's good to be with you. It's good to be together talking about what God's doing in Appalachia. Amen. And to start off today, we want to dive into the passages of Scripture that have been central to the formation of our vision and mission And as we've thought about this podcast, we've looked at two passages, Isaiah 40 and Mark chapter one. Mark, who brings Isaiah 40 into the beginning of his gospel as he introduces the Lord Jesus through John the Baptist. I'm just going to read it for us in Isaiah 40, verse three. The scriptures say, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's Yahweh, by the way. I want to emphasize that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. So we have the leveling of the topography. The uneven ground shall become level in the rough places of plain. So the smoothing out of any bumps or rises or lowerings, uh, the smoothing out of the topography. And then verse five, and the glory of the Lord, again, Yahweh, shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so when we read this at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Matt, and then John introduces Jesus. And so what we learn is the scriptures are saying the Lord's revelation and all flesh seeing his glory. Fast forward to Mark, the Lord has come. The Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh has become incarnate in Jesus Christ, and he is revealing his glory. That's right. Even in Appalachia, even where 
the mountains are high, the valleys are deep, and the opposition and obstacles are great, God is showing his glory in Appalachia. Amen. And one of my uh, associates out in Illinois when I was pastoring, when the pandemic started, said, there are going to be obstacles during this time, but there are also going to be opportunities. And as we think about the visuals in Appalachia of the mountains and the hills and the valleys and the rough places and and smoothing out, we just have that image all around us. As we think about this time in which we're living, you can look at ministry a few different ways. And I think there's realities to both these things. But if we get overwhelmed in despair uh, because of the obstacles, and I think we learned this through talking with our pastors most recently, that can be debilitating to the ministry if we just see the obstacles. But hey, God has called us to live during these days, Matt. And there are also opportunities all around us. And we've learned about some of those in Appalachia. You want to talk about some of the opportunities and good things you've seen during the podcast up to this point? Well, the very reason that we started the Appalachian Ministry Institute and from that, this podcast was to show what God is doing across Appalachia. God's called some incredible men to serve in churches across Appalachia, whether it's be in a long tenured ministry, as we heard from David Lemming at Lewis Memorial or a counseling ministry like that's going on with Brad Brandt in Wheelersburg. God's doing some really special things. There's a lot of church plants going on, a lot of young men who are answering the call to ministry, putting their hand to the plow, recognizing that doing ministry in Appalachia is not going to be an easy, easy call, easy answer to that call. Some have gone home. Some have moved to other parts of Appalachia, like myself, to serve there, recognizing that Appalachia is not monolithic. Not every place is the same, and there's some variants of that wherever. But we started Appalachian Ministry Institute. We started that in order to prepare Appalachians to reach Appalachia with the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing that this is a unique place. It's not the Bible Belt. It's not Northern culture. It's not Southern culture. It has its own culture. And so we want to help pastors better serve and reach Appalachia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Amen. Three things that are very important to us are to affirm people who are doing Christian ministry in Appalachia. We want to affirm them that the ministry and the work that they're doing is valuable to the Lord, and it's a benefit to his church and his mission. We want to encourage. Our goal is to step in and be a hopeful resource for those who are in the battle of ministry and in the midst of ministry and facing the obstacles that we mentioned and who are trying to persevere through to the opportunities. We want to encourage those folks and we want to equip. We want to be a resource that equips people in ministry to serve uniquely in Appalachia. And so those are some of the goals that we've set. Matt, let's talk about strategic planning. This is something that you and I have a passion for this is the sweet spot for your training and education formally. It's not mine per se. I, I was biblical studies, New Testament studies, but I've been in pastoral ministry my whole education career. And as much as I remember reading Aubrey Malfer's book, Advanced Strategic Planning in Seminary, and just being like, oh man, like, can, can we just go look at some manuscripts? And I, I'm, <laughs> but to be honest, It's one of those books that I've had to go back to time and time again. And Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church, is another one that I've used often. 
Give us sort of an overview of what strategic planning is. Strategic planning is an assessment of who you are, where you want to be, and where you want to go. When we think about strategic planning, it tells us who we are. It can be a reflection of who we are as an entity, but in the case of the church, our understanding of our purpose doesn't come from who we are, but it comes from the scriptures. Then that vision that's laid out there tells us who we want to be. If everything was working well, everything was going the way we want it to be, then it's going to tell us what that looks like in the future. It's also going to define who we're going to be as we get there. So it's going to accentuate those values that matter. And all of this is done with the mind towards context, who we are currently. That's one of the most discouraging things that I hear from pastors in Appalachia. And what I mean by that is what discourages them the most. Men are often called from outside of Appalachia to Appalachia. And when they get here, they find out that things are not either as they expected them to be or they're not as they had hoped them to be. That's what leadership is all about. Leadership is not God calling you to a place because it's exactly what it should be. But leadership's all about leading others to that place that he would have for them to be. You know, the Blackabees, Henry and Richard Blackaby, both talk about this in their book on leadership, which is an incredible book. It kind of started as a almost a devotional-like book and moved into a scholarly leadership book in its later editions. And he gives this definition. It's moving people onto God's agenda. That's still a great definition of leadership when you're thinking about it in the context of the local church. This matters because we have, even in the Bible, a picture of unregenerate people getting in places of leadership and leading the church to be something that it's not. I mean, in fact, that's exactly what Third John's all about. Third John's is really a little tiny letter written to a church in age minor that had gotten off course because an unregenerate leader had gotten in place. And I think we can be sure that if it happened in the first century, then we, we're going to be dealing with that today, even in Appalachia. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. So, okay. In my pastoral ministry, I've been in churches that have had a long history. I've never been in a, a new church or a church plant or anything like that, whether it was Fairview Missionary Baptist Church in Minford, Ohio, or Schofield Church in Dallas, or West Lisbon Church in Illinois. We're looking at churches with over a 100-year history that I've been a part of. So there's some gaps on my end because of that. But one of the things that I know that was important for me as we kind of look at the finer steps of what we call strategic planning is first you have to discover and help the congregation discover what have been our core values always. What have been those things that have been core values when we started, even if it was a hundred years ago, what are the core values that have persisted all the way up until today? Can we isolate those and build on those? So talk to us about core values. Core values really is an expression of how you're going to behave as you're carrying out your vision. This is important. And unfortunately, sometimes the values that you discover are not the values that you want. So there's going to be a change of culture here, but these shouldn't be just an expression of who you are. These must be an expression of who the Lord would have you to be. When we think about strategic planning, we have to remember that 
our constant pull must be back to the Bible again and again and again. Now, there's going to be cultural expressions of this, but that we are defined by the scriptures and that as we're going through this discovery process, there may be a call to repentance and all of that, that, you know what, the way our churches function has not been God honoring in and just fill in the blank. So with that, there's going to be a discovery of who we are and then an expression of who we want to be. That's how we're going to behave as we're carrying out the mission that God has for us. Amen. Amen. Now we may discover things that aren't this as we dive into it, but we're looking for things that are biblical and timeless, you know, things that have lasted and will last beyond our days. Now, when I've done my process and you, you speak to me, because this has been my second step when I've done something like this is scanning the environment. After we've discovered who we are, who we want to be, what's our environment today, right now? And I do that in two ways. I look at the external environment, where are we located? Who are our neighbors? What are the demographics? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? And then we also did an internal scan. Who are we made up of? What are the talents that are here? What's the financial capacity? What are the ministries that are going on right now? So who are we and who are our neighbors? Talk to us about an environmental scan. When we think about vision, Vision is really the expression of who God would have us to be and how we're going to get there. Vision really encompasses all of those things. And we know as followers of Christ and in the local church, the mission and the vision ultimately come from the Lord. But the expression of that is going to be really explained contextually. That's why, just like uh, the introduction of this podcast, you made the statement that we want to affirm those who are ministering in Appalachia that your ministry matters. This is important because when we look around, we recognize that the church in Appalachia is smaller than the church elsewhere. And the folks in those churches may not even recognize who they are, why they exist, and why God has called them to that place. An environmental scan enables us to define that vision in a contextual way. It tells us who we are. It tells us the needs of our community in order for us to actively and faithfully engage that community with the gospel of Jesus Christ that only your church can do. I mean, think of that. You can look around, you say, well, man, there are churches on every corner, up every holler, on every mountaintop. That's right. But the Lord has called your church to reach that community in a unique way. And you can't do that if you don't know who they are. You can't do that if you don't know who you are. You know, here's my story with that, because I moved from Dallas, Texas, right? In Dallas, I think there's there was two some million people. And then in January of 2015, I moved to Lisbon, Illinois, a village of 300 people, almost everyone farms. <laughs> okay. So, and I remember my first couple of years in ministry there, I was trying to take big city strategic planning and pile it on a rural, small town church. It just wasn't working. And so I remember some of my deacons saying, you're not in Dallas anymore. You're not in Dallas, you know, patiently, lovingly, you're not in Dallas anymore. So that context, that's where the environmental scan helps us. And you have to do it every time you're in a new place. You can't assume, I mean, 
listen, there may be things that carry over, right? We're going to preach the word. We're going to drill down on prayer. We're going to do some things that we did everywhere, but how we're going to contextualize a prayer meeting, how we're going to contextualize a worship service, it's going to look different. The ministries, the way we do children's youth outreach, it's all going to look different in your context. That's so important. And the history of Appalachia tells that story because there were more formal, higher church type approaches in trying to reach Appalachia and they all failed. This is why on this podcast, we've talked about Shubal Stearns and that Sandy Creek origin for most of our churches in Appalachia, that the Sandy Creek model is different than the Charleston model. And trying to bring a high church model into the mountains is going to be met with disaster. There's a history of this and it's played out in Appalachia today. When we think about defining who we are, defining our vision, looking at our context, we have to recognize, though many of our pastors may know why the church exists, we can't take it for granted that those in the local church know why they exist. They may come, they may want to learn about Jesus, they may want to learn how to follow Jesus and have others follow Jesus, but they may not be able to articulate why the church matters. This really came out in the pandemic. When we were thinking about what's essential, we recognize easily, well, teachers are essential, doctors are essential, nurses are essential, and on and on we went. But rarely did we ever look at the church and say it's essential. As a matter of fact, there are still some churches that are not meeting today as a result of the pandemic, haven't met in two years. And when we think of that, we have to recognize that The only institution apart from the family that was ordained by the Lord is not the school, was not the hospital, on and on, but was the church. And if there's anything that's essential, it is the church. Why? Because it is through the church that the nations are discipled and God is glorified. So when we think of the purpose of the church, it may be expressed in different ways. But the mission has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we may show that in creative ways. We may express that in remarkable art. But the mission came from the Lord and the vision has come from the Lord. It's that cultural expression of that that we're looking for in a way that people will communicate. I heard it years ago that worship songs were take home theology. That when you sing the song, that it's an expression, it's a way to teach theology and it's expression of that. Stained glass windows was a way to teach illiterate people theology. Well, we have to make sure that when we are expressing our mission, we're expressing our vision, when we're highlighting those values, that we're doing that in a way that communicates to the culture we find ourselves in. You know, Rex, one of the most popular books in the 1990s in church circles was The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren. And that book, strangely enough, revolutionized many churches. And I say it that way because it was almost as if the purpose of the church was never even considered by pastors. And so they took what they found in the book and just kind of stamped it on their churches. And I know stories where it really wrecked their churches. And others, it it worked well for a while. But what we're talking about with this is that that is a cultural expression of what the church looks like. Now, you may may say, Dr. Shamblin, now there are principles there that are timeless. That's true. That's not what I'm talking about. 
the way that much of that's expressed with the baseball diagram and those types of things communicates evidently pretty well in California. But up a holler somewhere, you're going to overwhelm people and you've got to be willing when you're leading them to know who they are and what's going to communicate to them what they're going to receive. If you don't do that, then you've not successfully led anywhere. Yeah, I remember when I first read Purpose Driven Youth Ministry by Doug Fields. I read the whole book. I devoured it quickly. I was a youth pastor in Appalachia at the time, and I was completely overwhelmed by that book, completely. I had a conversation with Scott Duncan about where do I even start? I mean, how do you build this kind of a thing when I'm I'm in a church of 125 I've got 12 kids best. I'm substitute teaching at the local school. I'm doing my best here, but this is a monster. How do you, he was wise back then. And he said, find one thing that you want to do and do it really well. And uh, so, so you're right. I mean, some of the methods that are really thriving in other contexts, we have to interpret them through, okay, where are we? And what might this look like here? This isn't going to work this this May, so on and so forth. But let's move on to vision and mission. We've talked about this a little bit up to this point. So we've got our values. We've scanned the environment. We know the context. And we want to uh, articulate this clearly through vision and mission statements. Vision being sort of the aim. This is where we're going. If we are successful in ministry, we will do this. This is what we will look like. This is who we will be. And the mission is how we're going to get there. It's the legs that get us to the vision. Now, some may say, you know, vision and mission. Everybody's got vision and mission statements. You know, cereal boxes have vision (laughs) statements. So, So are we getting too corporate here, Matt? What is a healthy way And honestly, I think we have mission statements in the Bible. I mean, we have a great commission, don't we? That's right. And the mission statement of the local church is going to be largely defined by that great commission. There are lots of mission statements that are three pages long. They're more like mission books. And the goal is to cover everything that they possibly can cover. And I think in as many words as they possibly can cover it. Why does it matter? It matters because... The average person in the pew has to be able to quickly articulate why we exist and where we're going. That's what leadership is. In leadership, we have to be able to communicate in a way that the other person is able to digest and understand what we're saying. In Appalachia, there's a lot of divergent views unknowingly of Christianity. That sounds disparaging, but I want to make sure I'm clear. There are a lot of new age philosophies that have been adopted in Appalachia and they put Jesus stickers on them. Okay. This matters because as you're pastoring a local church, you're going to find, I remember standing at the door one day of a church that I pastored and the little sweet lady came through. I remember her name. I won't share it. She's with Jesus now and she knows better, but she came through and she talked to me about her son. She said, I want you to pray for my son. And then as we were, she was talking to me about him, just as she ended, she said, now he knows Jesus, uh, but he's also a little bit in the Indian faith too. And I wanted to say to her, you know, those two are not compatible. There's no such thing as Jesus and the horoscope. There's no such thing as Jesus and the Indian faith. There's no such thing as Jesus and bad luck. 
That's not how that works. So when we think about Appalachia, we must recognize, and I'm sure this is the case elsewhere, that there are disparaging, divergent views of Christianity, and you are trying to return them to what the Bible says. And you're right. We find that with the Lord. He gives us the reason we exist, to make disciples of all nations. He gives us the curriculum. What are we to do? Teaching them what? To observe all things that he has commanded us. That's what we find there. The average person in the pew may not be able to articulate why your church exists. And so that's why this matters, because it becomes a rallying point. And then that vision expresses how you take the context, the need, and you meet it with who you are, and it tells where you're going. That's what leadership's about. Leadership is telling about a better, preferred future that we all must work towards to get there. That's what we've got to do. And remember, Pastor, your leadership comes at the will of another person. And so just because you've articulated a vision, just because you've got a plan, if you have no buy-in, you've just wasted paper. So you have to compel them to come with you. And as you compel them, you've got to show them, hey, you can do this. So I served a church as an interim pastor. This church was the mother church of the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptists. Great, sweet, awesome people. But a church that had not been on mission, they had not been evangelistic in a long time. And it had a lot of older folks in the church, but they were very active older folks. And what a pleasure and joy it was to serve them. We had a block party right there at the church. Now, that's not really how you do a block party. You, you should take the block party out on the block. But I wanted to show them that they could do ministry together because they had been at war. As a matter of fact, I almost broke up a fight by two 80-year-olds. I mean, you can just imagine that. And so we're all there doing the block party. We've got the bounce house up. They're doing face painting. The little old ladies are making snow cones and people were coming. They were hearing the gospel. People came to faith in Christ and they were all amazed. I remember after that, there was such an air in the church. We can do this. That's what you've got to do when you're sharing your vision. You've got to show them we can do this. Some would call this the low hanging fruit. Pick that low hanging fruit, whatever that may look like, whatever that looks like in your context, pick the low hanging fruit with that vision. Because remember, it's kind of like a bank account. When you make those withdrawals, those withdrawals come with change. When you make those withdrawals, you've got to make some deposits. And those deposits come as you're picking that low-hanging fruit, celebrating those wins, making that investment in people. That empowers that vision to come to life. In a lot of ways, pastoring a church through times of change sounds like a coach getting his players through a tough season. A coach constantly tells his players, you can do this. And then a good coach celebrates the wins. When we come back, how goals, objectives, traditions, and false agreeability play into strategic planning in Appalachia. Coming up on March 24, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. 
The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course, you'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 740-377-2520. In Appalachia particularly, we want to enable the people and empower the people. It's very important letting others see and let them be part of the idea formation and onto our next step, the goals, how you get from mission to vision in between those two spaces are the goals that you set for your ministry. So it can't just be the self-reliant, prideful, individualistic leader. It's got to be a team. It's got to be the people, the shepherd in the middle of the people, among the people, leading the people in those goals. So we got to be careful about false agreeability. And I don't know how you test this, Matt, but one of the things that sometimes we do as Appalachian people is we're like, oh yeah, pastor, that's a great idea. Not going to be there. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not coming to that. (laughs) So in my heart, I'm saying one thing with my head, I may be nodding yes, but in my heart, I'm like, that goal is never going to happen. In James, we've got these entrepreneurs, right? These merchants who are saying, we're going to go into this town and for this amount of time, and we're going to do this. But then James corrects them and say, no, it's if the Lord wills. You know, we have to remember that in every goal and every task, we are submissive to the Lord's will and his mission. And so as we think about goals and our planning, how do we take in that kind of attitude and also understand enabling the people, empowering the people? Okay, so this really is about leadership from a position, but leadership where it's not actual. You may have the job title as pastor, but the reality is you'll hear people say statements like this, son, I was here before you and I'll be here after you. So you may have a position, but the truth of the matter is you're not really the leader. In order to become the leader, you're going to have to take some time. There is no substitute for investing time in that ministry context. You just need to be with the people. There's a difference between doing nothing and investing. There's a big difference in that. You can do nothing around no one, but in order to invest, you've got to do that with people. And as you are with them and as you help them win, then you will gain some leadership equity. And be careful how you spend that. If you decide to come into a place and you're just going to define who you are, maybe you've brought it from another church and you're just changing the name on some stuff. Well, you can be certain disasters on the way because Appalachian folk are going to stand back and they're going to smile and they're going to kind of watch you fail. Here's what you've got to know. Most all of the Appalachian folks are going to be agreeable with you. Now, there are some who are not, but they're going to be agreeable with you. And they're going to go along with you, not because they've bought in, but just because they're agreeable folk. 
the hope is at some point along the way, you convert them, that you get them on, you help them come on to the agenda that God has. Remember what Blackaby said, you're moving them on to God's agenda. When we're setting goals, what do we want them to be? We want them to be definable and we want them to be measurable. I would also add one more thing. We want them to be fluid enough that as things grow, so too can that goal. Now that sounds almost contradictory, but remember, God's going to bring other people along with you and he's going to refine those goals and he's going to help you further articulate that vision. Don't be so rigid that you can't change. It used to be we would have 10-year goals. This is who we're going to be in 10 years. We're going to have a 10-year plan. We're going to have a five-year plan. Nobody writes those anymore. There's a reason for that because the world changes now at such a fast pace that if you were to write a five-year plan, just say that you wrote a five-year plan five years ago. Well, I can give you great certainty in knowing that your five-year plan has come crashing down because who would have put a pandemic right in the middle of that five-year plan? So as we're thinking about goals, you have to be able to articulate them and they have to be goals that people can actually meet. They have to be goals that people will understand. What does that look like? We're going to have a goal of making sure our nursery is clean. Well, you're going to be able to measure that. You can go into the nursery and make sure. We're going to have a goal that every word in the bulletin spelled correctly. We're going to have a goal that the words that come out of the mouth of the worship leader are the same words that are in the hymnal or on the screen. Now, you may listen to that and say, what world would that not be the case? Well, in a world where you're trying to lead people to do church in a way that's honoring to the Lord. So they're going to be definable, they're going to be measurable, and they're going to be fluid enough that they can grow with the growth of your church. Because remember, growth equals change. When you grow personally, you're not the same person you used to be. When your church grows spiritually, it's not going to be the same church that you dealt with before. When the church grows numerically, it's not going to be the same church that you dealt with before. And so as it grows, it's going to change. And if we were to go down from goals to objectives, a lot of these same things would apply, except we're just getting more specific, right? Objectives are taking the goals and under one goal, you might have five objectives. You know, so if your goal is to have a a good bulletin for the Sunday service, then you might have five different objectives to help you achieve that goal. That's right. You want to break this down for success. This is not micromanaging. This is success. You want to break it down so people will succeed. Now, one pitfall in Appalachia is that people are self-reliant, they're independent, they're prideful, and you are going to come up against what seems like centuries of tradition. One of my mentors says, as a Baptist, you better do it right the first time because we're going to be doing it that way for the next 500 years. When you're dealing with Appalachian folk, you're dealing with some folk who There's a lot of pride. Now, it's humble pride, but it's pride nonetheless. Now, think of that, humble pride. It looks like humility on the outside. You hear that in the diminutive speech. You know, I'm not the greatest at this, but I'll give you a shot. I was buying a guitar in St. Albans, West Virginia at a little music shop called the Fret and Fiddle. There was a a guy who ran the shop named Joe Dobbs. The rumor is that Joe was the greatest fiddle player in the world. He was incredible. So when I went in to pick out a guitar, I knew it was a bluegrass shop. I knew the legend and I heard him 
kind of an aisle over. A guy was buying a mandolin. And Joe Dobbs, I heard him say this. Well, you know, I don't really play the mandolin, but I can get you an idea of what it sounds like. I can tell you, I wish I didn't play the mandolin the way he showed how he didn't play the mandolin. It was, it was incredible. You'll hear that in Appalachia and you hear that diminutive. Yeah, I don't really do this, but I'll show you when in reality, they know themselves to be pretty fantastic. And that's the way they're going to view the things that's going on in their church. They don't see the error. They don't see the difficulty. They don't see what's going on. Uh, my wife and I were on vacation and we went to see a mentor who was serving as an interim pastor in a church just outside of the villages in Florida. And he said, come on over and we'll go eat afterwards. And so we went to the church. The church smelled like a funeral home that had been locked up for 50 years. It was awful. The people in the church had no idea because that's where they went to church every Sunday. They couldn't recognize how bad the place even smelled. You're going to find that in churches as you're trying to articulate the goals, as you're trying to help them understand the objectives and what you're doing, you're going to come against tradition. And how is it that you change tradition? Through a long investment, through clarity, and through bringing other people along. There are some traditions that are simply not worth changing in that church. You have to ask that question as the leader. Is this worth losing everything over taking that ugly flower arrangement off the front of the church? The answer to that is simply, no, it's not worth losing everything. That flower arrangement is not going to come into play for a long time. You say, Dr. Shamblin, this flower arrangement looks like it just came off of the headstone out in the cemetery. That's not going to hinder you in reaching Appalachian people with the gospel. The neighbors, they see what that's going. They, they don't have that type of expectation. You're going to need to lean in a little bit into that tradition in order to help reach them in a way that meets them where they are. Okay. So we've made it through this process, right? We've evaluated our values. We've scanned our environment. We've articulated vision and mission. We have written out goals that are definable, measurable, and pliable, and associated objectives with each of those goals. We're on the back end of the process now. What does evaluation look like, and how often should a church evaluate their process? And what are the steps of evaluating? Who should evaluate? And what might that look like in churches in our context? Well, I would say first, as you evaluate, do it carefully, because you don't want to discourage those that you're trying to lead. Remember, the goal is not to get them to do it your way. That's important. It's not about you getting your way. And so as a ministry grows and it evolves, it may not look exactly like you want it to look. Or maybe that's simply because God's doing something even larger than you imagine. But often what happens is during the evaluation process, as you're going back and you're looking, and that's going to be continual, you may even set a date on the calendar. All right, we're going to achieve these objectives by this date. But I would be careful with that. As you're going back and you're looking at what's going on, be careful not to discourage people because you may find yourself being the only one doing anything. I heard a story about that just recently where the pastor was the only one who was allowed to pray and on and on it went. You don't want to be that guy. I mean, if you look at Jesus' interaction with his disciples, there were times that they failed. And what did he do? He came along 
and he helped them succeed. So you want success as you're evaluating. You also recognize that people can only take so much evaluation before it tips the scale into discouragement. You don't want to do that. So yes, it may need to be done, but it may not all need to be done right now. And when you're dealing with Appalachia, Appalachia is not accustomed to change. There's been more change in Appalachia in the past two decades than there probably was in the last 150 years. As you change, be careful. Often, people look at the church as that last bastion where things haven't changed. It's the last bastion of culture. That's what homecomings are all about. You have homecomings, even if the church doesn't exist, because it's a cultural place. So who's going to assess? Well, people who really bought into your vision, whoever that may look like, it may not be just you. Hopefully it's not just you. It may not be your deacons. It may be a group of people, maybe who's in the church, who's growing, who are an accurate reflection of what the community is. Now, what what do you mean? People who you've reached from the community who are growing in the community. So let's say your average age is 40-something, a younger family who are young professionals or whatever. I'm just making this up. Well, then that's going to be the people who you want to assess some things because, for the lack of a better term, they're the target audience. I remember serving in a church and we were building a new building. The guys were defining the kitchen. They were designing what it was going to look like. They were putting the stuff in there. and. I said, hey, guys, are you all going to use this kitchen? Well, no, no. The lady, Then why would you not have the ladies design the kitchen? If they're going to use it, then why not let it be theirs and let them design it? That was a foreign concept because in this particular church, the guys had done everything. It looked like it. It looked like having church in a rundown garage. And so you see that. So you're going to want those who are closest to the nursery to assess the nursery. You're going to want those who are closest to the youth ministry to assess the youth ministry but they're going to need to do that very carefully and very tenderly as you try to carry out that vision or reach that vision. I mean, we want to be this way throughout the whole process, but this is a moment where it's so key to be a pastor, not a professional. You are a pastor. You are a shepherd. You are working with sheep. It is our goal to feed and water and care and protect. It is not our job to scare off or startle. And so I think that's so important as we're evaluating. This is their ministry too. It's not just me. It's not just you. How do I help them meet their ministry goal? What are the problems that they're encountering as they seek to fulfill their ministry calling? Recognize that the model churches that are lifted up are often lifted up on the best day and in the best way at the best time. There was a large church. It was really a flagship church of the independent Baptist movement that I was in talks with and becoming their pastor. And I went down to see their campus. Now, their large auditorium would seat 10,000 people. Their smaller auditorium would seat 6,500 people. And I remember standing on the front stoop of that large auditorium. There was a picture inside that took up the entire wall on the inside of that glass entrance of uh, that auditorium filled to the brim. And I remember standing there thanking God that he didn't call me to this church. I mean that because I recognized that this was going to be, if you came there and you 
filled up the auditorium. It was going to be one of many. And I felt a little bit discouraged because I thought, wow, what a different world. What a different day. Well, I later found out that that picture was taken on Easter Sunday and they had had all the students at their school. You know, it was their best day. Remember, when we're looking at a youth ministry, when we're looking at a nursery, when we're looking at a whatever it may be, we're looking at those things on their best day, what they should be if everything is working great. That's what a vision's all about. What does it look like on its best day? Not every day is going to be your best day. As the pastor, when you're preaching, we've all preached those sermons. They just weren't the best, but the Lord uses them. We've all had those days where the music wasn't the best, that the outcome of what we were trying to do wasn't the best. That's where grace comes in. The grace that you want as you're preaching is the same grace you need to extend as others minister. That doesn't mean you don't strive for excellence. That means that you don't require perfection to minister. There's only been one perfect and his name is Jesus. and You're not him. And so as we're seeking to serve, as we clarify who we are, let's be careful not to hold others to a standard that's only possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. Appalachia is a wonderful place to serve. Appalachia desperately needs pastors, churches to clarify why they exist, to have a vision in reaching their community. Some have shrunk back into simply surviving. God's not called you to Appalachia to manage a slow retreat. He's called you to Appalachia to charge the gates of hell. Don't hold back. Don't slow down. Don't spend all your time looking on the internet to go somewhere else. If God's calling you away, then go. But if he's called you there, then give it your very best. Remember what Jesus said. He said he would be with us even to the end of the age. That means you in that church, in the holler where nobody else is, your name's not going to be on the, the headline of the next conference. But guess what? Your ministry is significant. It's a significant ministry because God thought enough of you to call you to that church. And he thought enough of that church to call that church to you. You're both there. You're there to minister to them and they are there to minister to you. You're both there to reach the community and the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't manage a slow retreat. The Lord is with you. Define who you are. Put a plan together to reach that community that's unique only to you and go after it, trusting the Lord. You may say, Matt, I'm the only one. Well, then go alone. As that grows, take another and then another and then another. So often, so much time spent on Twitter, so much time spent on social media, so much time spent that's just simply wasted. I don't have time to do this. If you've got time to spend on social media, then you've got time for that. Remember, God's put you there for a reason and you can do it. You can do it because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he'll empower you to it. So don't slow down. Don't quit. Keep going. I'm preaching this weekend at our church. I've been studying about Acts 20, the first 12 verses, which is really just this description of Paul moving from one place to another. And it zooms in on a seven day ministry period in Troas. But the emphasis is on his grit, his tenacity. I mean, he's traveling. It's emphasized that he's giving long speeches in the word. You get a, a window into him just persevering in the mission. At the end of Romans, he says that what I want to do is offer a holy and acceptable sacrifice called the Gentiles. 
you know, spiritually mm-hmm. speaking to the Lord. This is my life. When I meet the Lord, I want to say, here's my offering, holy and acceptable for you, these people. You know, the people were his joy and his crown. Maybe, Matt, a prayer that we could end with is from Philippians 1, when Paul prays that the churches and his, I think, love would abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment. As we talk about a vision process or strategic planning, that's what we're saying. We want to know what God's doing in our midst today. We want to discern it and understand it clearly. We want to do it in love. We want to clarify this process and, and our calling in love so that we may approve the things that are excellent with the goal being that we are pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we're equipped, he goes on in verse 11 to say, already having the fruit of righteousness, which I think is the Holy Spirit, to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ and God the Father. So that prayer, I feel, is just a fitting in to the things that we've talked about today. Amen. Amen. It's exciting to see what God's doing across Appalachia as we clarify who we are, as we clarify this vision God's given us, which He gives us in Scripture now, the way it looks in Appalachia in our ministry context. We can know for sure that Christ is with us. He told us He would be. We can be certain of that. If you look up the Greek word paraclete, it's a word for the Holy Spirit as our helper. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to minister to the early church, but the Holy Spirit ministers to the church today, too. As a pastor, you may be initiating some hefty changes in your church, and with that can come loneliness and isolation or even despair. But you do have a helper in the Holy Spirit. That's where prayer and scripture is vital. And if you're looking for more information on the topic of strategic planning in Appalachia, be sure to reach out to Rex Howe at Tri-State Bible College. Send him an email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. You can also email Dr. Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute at matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.